Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Step outside the box and do a little bit of research. You get boxed in with financing in certain spots, which was one of my reasons I switched. But if it feels uncomfortable, it's probably a good idea to try it. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I'm pleased and honored to be introducing you to Trevor McGregor. You recognize his name. He's been on the show multiple times. Just search Trevor McGregor, Joe Fairless, and you'll hear his interviews that I did with him. And he has a lot of value during those interviews. Well, he's had a lot of value in my life. For the last five years, I have hired him to be a consultant to help me with my real estate business and just personal stuff too as a life slash business coach. And he's taken my game to a different level. Before I hired him, I had four single family homes. And oh, by the way, I was also single. Fast forward to today, my company controls over $300 million worth of real estate. And I am happily, happily married. Clearly, results are going to vary. But he has helped me in five years do things that I didn't even have on my radar. So I suggest that you speak to Trevor McGregor if you're looking to take your real estate investing business to the next level. If you've had success and are looking to build on that success, then he's your guy. Go to trevormcgregor.com or coachwithtrevor.com. And you'll be able to apply for a conversation with him, coachwithtrevor.com. We used to do a free consultation. We got too many free consultations, and he actually is pretty full with his consulting program, and he's very conscientious about the value that he adds. He wants to add tremendous value, so he's being very selective with the people who he does work with. So go to coachwithtrevor.com and apply to have a conversation with him. And then you two can decide if it makes sense to work together or not and hire him as a consultant. It has impacted my life in a tremendously positive way. Him and his wife have gone to my wedding. Trevor's been to my conference a couple years. And I know him well. And I suggest that you get to know him as well. Coachwithtrevor.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Glenn Sutherland. How you doing, Glenn? I'm doing great. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And a little bit about Glenn. He has four single family homes that he rents out. He's a Canadian investing in both Canada and the United States based in Cambridge, Ontario. And he's the host of a podcast and YouTube channel called A Canadian Investing in the U.S. 
no gray area there. It's very clear what that podcast and YouTube channel is all about. So with that being said, Glenn, you want to give the best of our listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, actually, that pretty much sums it up. I actually have five properties now and a sixth in Alabama, and I got two under contract. So in the next month or so, we'll have another couple more to the portfolio. Where are your properties and what are they? Right now, they're all single family. I used to own some duplexes, but we sold those. I used to invest with my brother. So we sold those about a year ago. So now it's all single family. Cambridge, Ontario, Strathroy, Ontario, Huntsville, Alabama, and two properties I'm going to be getting in Kansas City or Raytown, which is just on the edge of Kansas City. Mm -hmm. Two in Canada, one in Huntsville, Alabama. No, actually, there's several, several in Cambridge. Yeah. Okay. Several in Cambridge, your backyard, and... Then you got one in Huntsville, and you're going to be buying, what, two more in Kansas City? Yes. How are you finding these properties all across the United States? And I get the Canada thing because that's your backyard, but how are you finding the ones in the U.S.? In the States, I'm using turnkey operators because there's a bit of a gap when you're this far away until you have a team established. And even if you just pick a specific market and you get established somewhere, so you have like your contractors and set up. It's much easier to just work with someone who can find the property, ideally wholesale, and then renovate it for you and still sell it to you under value. How do you qualify the turnkey operator? <laughs> well, to be honest, the ones I've been working with, I've either gotten references from some people running podcasts or I've worked with some of the other podcast hosts. So yeah, I don't know. I guess whenever you... You listen to somebody for a few thousand episodes, you get to know, like, and trust them, and you sort of go with that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Makes sense. You said that you used to own some duplexes with your brother, but you sold them. How come? The main reason was we were just having problems. We didn't have the hydro or the utility split, so we were having problems with the tenants. Having basically water battles, they'd hear the other one in the shower, so they turn on the laundry. <laughs> it just turned into. A, and in Canada, I property manage myself, which I know is not the best idea. But in the states, I use property management, obviously. But when we were managing ourselves, after a while, it just took a toll. <laughs> it's like, okay, this is this is enough. Let's we can sell it above what we bought it for, and we can walk away with some money. Let's just do it. <laughs> Why does it take a toll as a manager? I would think it wouldn't take a toll on the manager. It'd take a toll on the owner because the owner is having to foot that bill with the water battles. Yes, but I was the property manager, so I was doing both. So I was dealing with them calling me and complaining about each other as well as oh. dealing with water bills. And I was, I was having both sides. <laughs> okay, that's no fun. No. The two that you're buying near Kansas City, what's the price point? What are the rents for? And what can you tell us about them? The property is in Kansas City. I'm basically looking for stuff around the 1% rule. I want to do better than that. Off the start, these first few properties, I've been going for B-class properties. So they're really nice looking properties, which I know I could do better by going down to the $65,000 range instead of up in 100000 but I'm still getting my toes wet and it's a comfortable factor. You look at houses and you're like, I could live in these houses. Whereas whenever I got into some of the 65,000 ones, I was like, ah, it just, I know you have to not get the mental attachment to it, but I believe that these should appreciate better being in the B neighborhood than the C neighborhood. I know that the cash flow isn't as good. I'm only going to make 10% without uh, leverage. And it's really going to be about diversifying my portfolio. So 
the plan is to get a bunch of them that are these B-class neighborhoods so that I'll make the 10% and then I'll, once you add some leverage, you'll make a little bit higher than that and then go to some C-class neighborhoods. And I was already looking at putting seller financing on one in Indianapolis and in Jacksonville. Well, Jacksonville won't lease seller financing. And just having a little bit of different things. And by diversifying in different markets, you're dealing with different cycles for different states. You're dealing with, well, I have properties in Canada, so you're dealing with different countries. And ideally, I'm planning to move into different asset classes. So I don't know if we're supposed to talk about your stuff, but on your next project, I plan on giving that a go and at least dipping my toe with your syndication. I know the multifamily, single family, and different states are all running on different cycles. So you might be going down on some of them and you may be going up on others. And it's just like a way to keep yourself going up front because ideally, I want to get to a point where I can leave my job. And it's a security thing. It's just like, I guess, when people buy different kinds of mutual funds and stocks just to do different things, but I'm more interested in real estate. What is your full-time job? I work for IBM fixing bank machines and servers. Okay. <laughs> yeah. From a diverse... Not really related. No, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I, I was like, okay, dead end there. So I'll, I'll move on. <laughs> I, I was going to tie that into something, but I couldn't think of anything. All right. So you've mentioned Indianapolis... Jacksonville, Florida, Huntsville, Alabama, you have property there, Kansas City, Missouri, and you've talked about diversifying in different markets in different states. Are there certain states or certain characteristics of states that you look for whenever you're investing? Yes. A big thing I look for basically to start with is the landlord laws because Ontario isn't a really landlord-friendly province. So if I'm going to go outside of that, I might as well pick states or other provinces that are more landlord friendly so I can have the law on my side instead of on their side. So I look for landlord states and I first broke it down. That gave me about 10 to 15 states that were landlord friendly. And then it was property taxes. I wanted property taxes not to be ridiculously high. And there's like some of the markets that are really, really landlord friendly, but then the property taxes were going to kill me. I looked at vacancy rate and prime, and I also wanted to look at areas where there's a good job pool. Like there's a big employers, but ideally, that's not one employer that provides like all employment. So I mm-hmm. wanted them to be around like 20 or 25% for that city. Okay. 20 or 25%. So no one industry makes up more than 20, 25% of the total jobs? Yes, that's the idea. Yeah. Cool. Yep. I'm with you on that. As far as landlord-friendly laws, you said you narrowed it down to 10 to 15 states. How do you quantify what friendly means or qualify what friendly means, however you define it? Well, to be honest, I looked at a lot of online reviews of what, like there's been a lot of people that have written articles on that. Okay. But for me, it was down to making the eviction process simple and being able to hold like a larger amount as a deposit for the renters. And if there was issues like states where if you had to go and get a judgment done where you're going to be sitting held up in a court for like four months or six months until they can actually see you and your tenant might not be paying you or only partially paying you for a long period of time. If I could choose places that wasn't going to happen where the the system was quick and the system would ideally be favoring me, that's what I picked. Similar question for property taxes. You said some are high, some are not. 
how are you determining what high is? I was looking for ideally around like $1,000 a year or less for like a single family, four bedroom, two bath sort of area. $1,000 a year for a house? Wow. Yeah, well, in Alabama, the property I have is a four bedroom, two bath, and I got $560 a year. It's the (laughs) state with the second lowest property taxes in the entire United States. Goodness gracious. That blows my mind. How much did you buy that property for? $95,000. $95,000 purchase price and the property taxes are less than 600 bucks a year? Yep. Huh. Okay. I've never looked in Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. I picked Huntsville too because it's northern Alabama. So you're not going to be dealing with hurricanes too much and that sort of thing. And they have Mercedes and a rocket program and the FBI. So there's a lot of big employers and it's a growing city. So that's my main reason for Huntsville. (laughs) That's really interesting. I guess because I've just focused on Texas and the property taxes are not low in Texas because there's no state income tax. So they get you one way or the other. That's interesting. Okay. And then vacancy rate? Yes, I do look at the vacancy rate too. Okay. What do you look I, for? I don't, I don't have it. You know what? To be honest, I haven't really looked at vacancy no. rate that closely. No. It's been sort of like something I kept in my back pocket and I've like heard people talk on podcasts about certain cities, but I didn't go to the state set website and, oh, this is my number that I need to get. Fair enough. And by the way, just for comparison purposes on the property taxes, I bought a house and I still own it in Duncanville, Texas, which is south of Dallas a little bit. And I bought it in 2009 for $76,000. The taxes on it now are 3000 bucks. Believe whatever you want to believe from Zillow, but Zillow says it's worth 161000 right now. I bought it for seventy six. Tax is $3,000, and you're saying you bought a $95,000 house. Mine was seventy six. You bought a $95,000 house, and your taxes are less than $600. That's incredible. Yeah, it, but like when you're talking about taxes, you're talking similar, not in landlord. You're much more landlord-friendly in Texas. Right. But compared to Ontario, you're comparing similar taxes. My properties here are 200000 ish and you're paying $250,000 a year for mm-hmm. taxes for these properties. And you compound that with the landlord laws and the rent is not phenomenally high here. Like for a $200,000 place, you're getting like $1,500 a month in rent. And it makes sense to move your money to Midwest where it will give a better ratio, right? <laughs> and on the moving money part from where you're at to the United States, what unique challenges do you have as a Canadian investing in the United States? Well, as you mentioned that, getting your money across the border, just the first time I was doing it, I didn't know better. So I was just wiring money from Canada to the US. I did a professional wire. So it was like $70. You just wasted sending money across. I've, I've learned you don't have to do that. You don't even have to deal with the real banks because then you can get a much lower interest rate. But now talking to banks or like sub banks that'll do like half a percentage to move your money across. Whereas off the start, a bit typical banks taking one and a half or 2% as their, their points in order just to move money from Canadian to the U.S. on top of the exchange rate. 
Mm -hmm. So you're losing money there. Financing is a big challenge for Canadians. It's not the same. You go to any of these large banks or anything and they're like, oh, what's your social security number? You're like, well, I have an (laughs) ITIN number. Like I have an international tax ID number. Yeah, exactly. And they go, what's that? And I go, well, it's kind of like a social security number or a social insurance number in Canada. It's kind of the same thing, but it's, uh, I use it to pay taxes in the United States. That's my tax number. And surprisingly enough, if you do a little bit of research, you can actually find credit cards. You can find some that will build your FICO score with your ITIN number. It's a little trickier to find. Some of them you're going to have to find, like basically prepaid ones. You're going to be treated like you don't have any credit at all and you're yeah. starting right from scratch. But it is a way that then the banks will deal with you. And they've told me that once I've been down there for two years and have a bunch of properties, that things are going to get a lot easier. So I want to have some tax returns to show. I have one tax return, but once I have several tax returns to show that I'm a little bit more consistent and reliable, I've just set up some refinance on my property in Huntsville. So now that I will be able to show that I'm making mortgage payments and you're starting from scratch, you got to show that you have a history and that you're reliable to make the payments and then things will start to grow for you. But there are other options. Like there's a bunch of Canadian banks that are down in the United States as well. So we have banks down there, for instance, Royal Bank, so RBC, BMO, which is BMO Harris in the States and TD Bank. The tricky part I find talking with them is depending on the bank, low loan to value ratios, really good interest rates though. And they only loan in the States they're in. So you you almost got to add a new thing to your criteria. If you're trying to buy a property, like where is my financing? Can I get financing from here or there? Because right now I'm mostly dealing with private money, hard money, seller financing and insurance companies. Mm -hmm. Found that you can get like mortgages from insurance companies and there's a lot less hoops to jump through they'll actually accept your Canadian credit score too. One way to get around it. What was the first deal you bought in the United States? The Huntsville property. Huntsville property. How did you get financing for that property? I bought it cash because I thought it would be simpler, but in actuality, it would have been simpler to actually close it with financing because now it's considered a refinance, even if it hasn't gone up in any value and I'm still putting the same amount of mortgage on, you're not going to get the same rate on a refinance as the original purchase. I want to come back to that one. What's the first deal that you got financing on in the United States? This Huntsville property. Oh, on the refinance. So this is the very first time you're getting financing is on this refi? Yes. That's the first first actual one. Got it. Okay. So you haven't gotten traditional financing yet, but you're working on it right now with the refi. Yeah. The refi is all approved. So that'll go through. And then I'm planning to switch that out after a year to a lower interest rate. And I've been talking to a lot of banks, and which is really the system to use as a Canadian is just to call several banks every day and hear a no, no, a no, and then a, a yes, we'll deal with you. But these are our unique situation for a Canadian. Like some of them, we're only going to give 65% loan to value. Some of them will give you 80% loan to value, but we want a higher interest rate. They all have different things or some of them, they want a certain number of tax returns. Some of them, they want co-signers by an American. and (laughs) Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's a lot of just calling over and over again. I think a lot of people don't have it in them to actually sit there and do that. And that's why I've been like entering a few people here in Canada just to show them, here's what I've already done. Make it easier for you. You can use all these people I've already vetted and used just to 
shorten the process. So for all the Canadians out there who are listening, who are wanting to invest in the U.S., they can talk to you and you got some shortcuts for them. Definitely. Yeah. Ideally, I would love them to at least listen to episode one of the podcast just so they have some general ideas of how it all works. And then I feel free to call me. I sit on the phone. You can ask my wife <laughs> a couple hours a night just talking to people while I'm playing with the kids and doing stuff. Actually, I try not to do that, but <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> cool. And the podcast is called A Canadian Investing in the USA. Yeah. Sweet. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? I would say the best advice would be to be bold, be willing to try stuff. Because if I just kept getting stuck in like Canadian real estate, there's so much more for everything. If you're willing to just step outside the box and do a little bit of research, you get boxed in with financing in certain spots, which is one of my reasons I switched. But if it feels uncomfortable, it's probably a good idea to try it. <laughs> How have you applied that in your life? Well, I guess the obvious one is going to the States and taking the jump because I know I go to a lot of real estate meetups here. And as far as I know, there's only like one other person I know that's actually been investing in the States and everyone stays in their backyard. A lot of people aren't even willing to cross the province to do investing. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. <laughs> All right. Sure. Let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you want to hire the guy who I hire to help me with my real estate investing business, then go to coachwithtrevor.com. That's coachwithtrevor.com. The Target Market Insights podcast is just that, a show solely dedicated to help you learn about target markets through the people successfully shaping them. The show features professionals who work directly with the audience and market you want to connect with in real estate. Listen and subscribe today at targetmarketinsights.com. That's targetmarketinsights.com. Okay, best ever book you've read? You could probably do the obvious Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or maybe the Millionaire Real Estate Investor. I like that one as well. Mm -hmm. Best ever deal you've done? I would say any of the properties that I have in Cambridge, Ontario. Right now, because I'm still new in the United States, those are really high cash flow deals. But the market in 2017, every property gained about $100,000, which makes phenomenal equity that I can refinance and turn into whatever I want. But without that, it really would have stunted my growth a lot in order to get to where I'm planning to go. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Well, I guess my biggest mistake was my first rental property I bought when I was still new. I didn't really understand how to properly charge the right amount of rent. I basically figured it out the wrong way by figuring what it cost me and then charging a little bit more than that, which was really backwards. And then I ended up having tenants walk all over me and I ended up having to go through the landlord board in order to do the eviction process. And we had the police involved because the <laughs> people were running a scam out of my property. What are they doing? <laughs> It was something to do with Rogers, which so it's like a thing up in Canada. It's like a telephone internet company. Okay. So they had a whole bunch of boxes and stuff. And so the police basically froze the property and <laughs> I couldn't even empty the property out because they wanted to go through everything. <laughs> <laughs> Fun stuff. If you have a similar situation next time, how would you approach it? Well, now I run everything like a business. So whenever someone's late on the rent, I give them an N4, which is like in Canada, that's when you notice that you have like 14 days to pay your rent or leave. On the second of the month, 
I am there with the paperwork to get that set up. If they don't pay it on the, which works out to the 17th, I'm dropping off their L1. I'm getting the paperwork done. I basically have written out in a book how I want the properties to run. And whenever I kind of like get emotional and get into it, I just look back at the book. And this is how it runs. These are the rules. And I can't take favors because I like this tenant or whatever. We have to run the process right through, which I didn't do off the start. I would take favors. Yeah, sure. You can have an extra week or two weeks. I'm like, no, I got to start the process. Yeah. It's a slippery slope. Yep. Best ever way you like to give back. Well, my big thing right now is doing the, the podcast and YouTube channel that I've just started in the new year. And I've been doing it every week. I've been trying to give all of the information that I've been coming up with as I come across it. And as uh, people, they can go to my website, the glensutherland.com, and they can message me there. And I've just been getting into many email conversations back and forth and lunch meetings just to walk people through how they can do this. Well, Glenn, thank you for being on the show and talking about how you as a Canadian and real estate investor are investing in the United States, what you look for, the landlord-friendly laws, specifically the eviction process and how simple it is, as well as what type of deposit can be held. The property taxes, you blew my mind with Huntsville, Alabama, the $95,000 property, less than $600 a year in property taxes the vacancy rate crime and good job pool or diversity. You don't want any one industry to make up more than 20, 25% of all the jobs. And then your unique challenges as a Canadian investing in the U S and some shortcuts along the way. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks Joe. The target market insights podcast is just that a show solely dedicated to help you learn about target markets through the people successfully shaping them. The show features professionals who work directly with the audience and market you want to connect with in real estate. Listen and subscribe today at targetmarketinsights.com. That's targetmarketinsights.com.